Hi there, my name is Rob Verkirk. We're going to be talking today about herd immunity. It's a concept that people are talking a lot about, um, particularly in relation to vaccines. So what does the World Health Organization have to say about it? In their 30th of December 2020 update, they say that herd immunity, also known as population immunity, is the indirect protection from an infectious disease that happens when a population is immune either through vaccination or immunity developed through previous infection. WHO supports achieving herd immunity through vaccination, not by allowing a disease to spread through any segment of the population, as this would result in unnecessary cases and deaths. And of course, the reality is it depends on how dangerous the disease is in question. Um, and obviously we all know that the WHO supports vaccination uh, as, a, as a generalized approach. Bottom line is, let's look more closely at the concept of herd immunity to look at it both in relation to vaccination and also in relation to just naturally acquired infection. Bottom line is everyone fits into one of three groups. Either you're susceptible, fully susceptible, you've no, got no prior immunity, um, you've probably got um, high levels of exposure, you haven't been exposed to um, the virus before, you don't have any um, background immunity, you, you probably have underlying conditions, um, or you may be partially uh, immune, so you um, have perhaps some prior exposure to related coronaviruses, such as the common cold virus, um, you may have some persisting immunity from previous exposure to SARS-CoV-2. Um, you probably low vulnerability. You don't have um, underlying conditions. Um, and you may have experienced some symptoms, some mild symptoms, certainly not serious disease, serious COVID disease um, that, that risks, puts you at risk of death. And then you've got another group that is entirely immune or resilient or tolerant. Um, and this population group um, has probably been exposed to SARS-CoV-2. It also may have a very effective innate uh, immune system um, function. Um, they've got no underlying vulnerabilities and people who are infected are either um, or exposed to the virus don't become systemically infected and they don't develop symptoms. They are asymptomatic. During the course of the pandemic, the numbers of people in each of these three groups is going to be changing. The number in the susceptible group particularly um, will start declining and people will either die or they'll become partially immune or they'll become fully immune. What are the kind of factors that are associated with people who are highly susceptible? Well, generally if you're older, over 75, and you've got underlying health conditions or comorbidities, you're at greater risk. You may also have been exposed to a high viral load, particularly in hospital settings or confined spaces. You might be immune compromised. Um, you probably have not had prior exposure to SARS-CoV-2 or related coronaviruses um, that developed immunity. Um, and, um, or you may have lost immunity that you used to have and also you may have a particular problem of antibody-derived enhancement where you have developed an antibody response either to previous infection or to vaccination 
and then when you get exposed to the disease you get really seriously ill. So um, what might be the factors um, that relate to those who are partially immune? Well you're probably going to be um, younger, so under 75 you're going to be disease-free, probably got a good diet and lifestyle, adequate status of key nutrients that affect the immune system like vitamin D, vitamin C and zinc. Um, you probably have been exposed to the virus before or at least related coronaviruses. You may not be exposed to high viral loads um, and you may have lost some of the high levels of immunity that you previously had. For the fully immune group, um, also you're going to generally be younger, but many of the same factors are going to apply as those who are partially immune. So what happens as you become immune? Well, you could have a really strong innate immune response so that virtually none of the SARS-CoV-2 enters your body and starts um, replicating so you get no disease, you're asymptomatic. You may also have a slow immune response so the innate immune system allows if you imagine it's like a, a trap door that allows some of the virus into your body doesn't stop it entirely and your adaptive immune system comes into play over a period of days um, and prevents you developing really serious disease that, that puts you at risk of death. There are a whole range of immune cells and compounds that are involved in this innate and adaptive immune system reaction that we've talked about in another video and um, includes interferon, natural killer cells, dendritic cells, macrophages, B cells, neutralizing antibodies and T cells, both cytotoxic and memory T cells. Most of the research that's trying to track immunity in the population is actually focusing on just one of these, the humoral immunity by way of neutralizing antibodies. Um, and that's partially because these are the particular part of the immune system that are being studied in the phase three trials with vaccines. But actually we know that it is the memory T, memory T cell immunity that's really all important for long-term immunity. And there's relatively few studies that are looking at this. And of course, this is really what's going to back up naturally acquired herd immunity. It's also important to understand the proportion of these three populations is going to be changing all the time. So the relationship is particularly dynamic in the early stages of um, a new human pathogen um, coming into human population. Um, you're going to get mutations along the way. And there have already been many thousands of mutations of SARS-CoV-2. Um, and of course, we're hearing a lot about the recent variants that, that are, appear to be changing the rate of transmission, but not so much the more dangerous component, which is the virulence uh, of, of the virus. But at some stage, even without vaccination, there will time when the um, susceptible population becomes so small that the epidemic can't grow anymore. And at that point, that's what's happened with, say, common cold. Um, it, at that point, we call that the herd immunity threshold. And of course, changing environmental conditions and susceptibility and mixing of populations can change the relationship to allow an endemic disease to wax and wane, or it may disappear altogether, as we've seen, say, with smallpox. 
The way in which herd immunity is generally measured is through a classical formula that was developed in the 1970s. Um, everyone will be aware of the R number. Um, and of course, if the R gets to one or less, this formula suggests that the, the uh, disease will, will decline. Um, if you assume a basic reproduction rate, an R naught value of um, between two and three, which is what most of the studies suggest for um, SARS-CoV-2 in a completely susceptible population, the formula says that you need 60 to 70% of the population to be immune for the herd immunity threshold to be reached. And that's why we're hearing a lot about the fact that they're trying to vaccinate 60 to 70% of the population. The bottom line is this formula has got a number of basic problems. It makes the assumption that the level of immunity in the population is going to be even and that mixing is going to be random. Now, neither of those two factors occur in reality. And when you look at the fact that, that T-cell immunity is probably the most important component of immunity and we're not generally measuring it, the um, research looking at SARS-CoV-2 suggesting that actually with T-cell immunity coming into play, the herd immunity threshold may actually be achieved at a much lower level, maybe as low as 20%, some studies even suggesting as low as 10%. So what roles do vaccines play in developing herd immunity? Well, they try and achieve herd immunity without exposing you to the disease. Um, and of course, they the, the new um, clutch of, of vaccines do this in a way that's very different from vaccines of old. Um, in the case of the mRNA vaccines, the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines, they take a synthetic um, sequence that of messenger RNA that programs the body, the muscle cells into which the vaccine is injected to produce the spike protein. Um, so it's getting effectively the body to, to become the vaccine factory. Um, the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine um, takes the synthetic DNA sequence and then puts it inside a non-replicating viral vector, in this case a genetically modified chimpanzee virus, and introduces that to the body so that the body mounts an immune reaction. The hope is, of course, that that doesn't create harm. And of course, there is no such thing as a vaccine that creates no harm. We're at a very early stage of understanding the um, total nature of adverse uh, reactions to this because the phase uh, three trials really have had only two or three months worth of data on which the emergency authorization has been released. Well, actually, as we've seen historically for other vaccines, even take pandemics, um, the swine flu vaccine, it took months, even years, for the full consequences of the adverse effect, the narcolepsy that developed in children, to really be fully understood. Um, we also don't know very much at all about the transmission effects because they're not transmission effects um, are not built into the uh, phase three trials. It would take too long to do that, it was argued. Um, and of course, the phase three trials are still ongoing. So it'll be months, if not years, before we really understand the full implications. And the data has not yet been put into the public domain. So it's impossible for independent researchers to really 
um, evaluate the data properly. There are many reasons why a infection is going to decline um, and it's not just linked to vaccination. Um, often there are multiple factors involved. So we look just at TB. TB was declining. Smallpox was declining when vaccines were introduced. But um, there were many factors that were um, occurring. Um, people are being exposed to the disease. So the herd immunity is rising in the population. The overall susceptible group is, is reducing. But then there were other factors like the degree of crowding, the amount of ventilation um, as well. So we have, in the case of SARS-CoV-2, also many factors that are working together. Um, potential changes in the virulence. Is it getting less than it was um, the earlier part of uh, 2020? Um, is the transmission rate changing? If it is increasing, it actually may accelerate the process to um, a waning um, a pandemic or epidemic. Um, what are people's nutrition status? What are their comorbidities? What are the mixing patterns? Um, how much immune competence is out there? What sort of previous exposure people got to SARS-CoV-2 or related coronaviruses? And then add to that mix how much effective vaccination, um, how much support is that giving to the immune system? Bottom line is vaccination is not the only option. There are many things that we can do, um, that everyone can do to uh, uh, improve their overall resilience. Um, one of them is to optimize their nutrition status. Um, and we really strongly advise you look at our vitamin C, vitamin D campaigns. You go to our Adapt Don't Fight campaign. Um, next week we're going to be releasing a zinc campaign as well. We can also reduce our vulnerability to our risk of chronic diseases. These are the underlying conditions that make people more susceptible. These diseases all tax our immune system, so make us less able to not deal only with this particular infectious disease, but many other infectious diseases. So there's a really good reason to really drive forward programs that really help us to um, improve um, our resilience overall to chronic diseases. So please engage with us, um, have a look at our website, have a look at the videos, our news stories, our articles. Um, please sign up for our newsletter on our website. You'll get reminders every week. Um, and um, let's work together to make a difference. Thank you.